1: Welcome to Nature Spirituality with Selena Fox. This is Selena Fox and we explore ritual feasting and feasting rituals tonight. I give thanks to everybody who is tuning in live and all of you who will tune in later. This is part of a series on celebrating the harvest, and we're moving into Samhain time at this end of September 2022, so it's also something that's connected with Samhain traditions in many places. So ritual feasting can take a variety of different forms. I'm going to share with you some of my own experiences. And hopefully from our time together, you will get some ideas to weave this into your own spiritual practice. We call to the powers of earth, air, fire, water, spirit. We call to the divine. As great mother, great father, great spirit, we call to the spirit that interconnects us all together. We call to the sacred circle of community. We call on the divine to bless our ritual feasting, to bless food that we consume to bless beverages that we consume, to bless our connections with the plants and other forms of nourishment that are part of our sacred feast. So be it. Since the most ancient of times, We know through oral tradition, some written accounts that have come down to the contemporary age, as well as through some archaeological research done at sacred sites, that feasting has been part of celebrations of the seasons, of celebrations of life passages, of celebrations of the moon. And these are all occasions that we can have for sacred feast. But I begin with something that many people do from a variety of different nature, spirituality, paths, and in fact other forms of world religion, which is The blessing of a meal with a prayer, a chant, an invocation, with a blessing, sometimes known as saying grace, and people have done prayers prior to consuming a meal as part of daily life as well as at special occasion times. What is the purpose of doing a meal blessing with a prayer or a chant? It might be spoken. It may be sung. It may be thought. But the underlying reason for this is to give ourselves time to actually express appreciation to the divine to do a blessing on the food and beverages that we consume. By taking even a few moments out to sit quietly before consuming a meal, that itself is a kind of feasting ritual. And that helps us focus on the act of having the feast, and it also connects us with the much larger circle of nature of which we are a part. The divine is one, the divine is many, according to whatever path or paths we practice. So it's not only good from a spiritual sense, but physiologically, by just pausing, reflecting, expressing gratitude, expressing blessing, That can actually help our digestion. And if we're doing this at a meal and there are other people present, and all of us are joining together, whether we're saying the prayer together or we are chanting together or we're doing this silently or just one person is facilitating the experience, it does connect us not only with, sacred but with the sacred forms that are part of the nutrition that we are going to consume and with others that are with us. One of the long-standing traditions with Circle Sanctuary in our community has been to have a ritual feast in connection with all of our seasonal celebrations. We start our sacred year with Samhain and celebrate the Celtic Fire Festivals of Samhain, Imolk, Beltane, and Lunasa, which are at the midpoints of each season, as well as the solstices and the equinoxes that begin each season. For us, as a community, we gather in person at Circle Sanctuary Land, typically. And in more recent years, we have had a virtual aspect for at least one part of our festival. And as we gather together, we socialize. There tends to be at least one workshop, and if it's one of our three-day festivals, many workshops and rituals. And hardwired into our celebration is a feast. Now, sometimes this feast is the main meal of the main day of the festival, if we're meeting on multiple days. And over the years, we've done that feast in a variety of ways. Early on, we had a potluck feast. And I think that a potluck, which consists of all the participants, each bringing something to contribute to the feast, not only gives really good variety, but it's a way of everyone collaborating on the ritual feast. In more recent years as we have navigated some changes in events we have and have grown um, with some of our numbers, we have had at times our main feast being something that we provide our community and we have volunteers that cook the feast and then volunteers that serve the feast and we have people going through. So it has some of the elements of our potluck um, experience of our earlier days where people pick and choose what, what they're taking for themselves. And often at the beginning of the festival, and sometimes it's right before we begin the serving of the feast, there will be a chant, a prayer, a blessing that the feast coordinator will facilitate, or sometimes we all sing together. We give thanks for this feast. We give thanks for this feast. So it can be something simple with just a few words. It can be spoken, it can be thought, it can be sung. It's really fabulous when you have everyone pausing a few moments prior to this happening in a large group setting because that centers people and connects them with the feast as ritual and with the sacred. At Samhain time, we have a special kind of feast. In addition to those of us who are the living who are feasting together, we have what we call the Feast of the Dead. Typically, this consists of having a place setting, a plate, and prior to the start of everyone going through the food line, someone takes what we call the spirit plate and goes and gets a bit of each part of a dish of food and puts it on the plate. And in like fashion, someone takes the spirit cup and will get a bit of each of the beverages and mix them together in the spirit cup. Usually it also has water in it to aid with the blending. And then that spirit plate and spirit cup is put on a particular altar, usually in our main temple room, and we kindle a candle and often we'll have incense and we'll invite the spirits of the beloved dead and our ancestors to come to that location, to that place where the spirit plate and the spirit cup is, and to partake of the spiritual essence of the food. I have a chant for that, that sometimes I do as part of the meal, and sometimes I do this at our cemetery at the end of our sowing gathering or at the time we do the cemetery ritual at our sowing gathering, We will go as a group, call on the Ancestors and Beloved Dead, and then we chant together, Ancestors and Beloved Dead. And the food on the spirit plate and we return it to the earth we have a special altar in our cemetery so we pour the beverage out as a kind of libation and then we put the food from the plate onto the special altar as an offering to not only the beloved dead that have remains and memorial stones and other tokens of remembrance at Circle Cemetery, but it's Sawan time, and we use our cemetery as a place where we honor all of our beloved dead and our ancestors, whether they actually have physical remains buried there or scattered there um, as part of our cemetery. Another thing that we've done at Sawin, and did this several years ago, is something known as the Dumb Supper, or in more recent years, another name for this is the Silent Supper. Often this is done with a spirit plate and a spirit cup and a special altar or place setting set. To honor the dead and ancestors, typically the silent supper begins with a honoring of loved ones who have died in the past year, an honoring of other beloved dead, an honoring of ancestors, those who are ancestors of family. Those who we are connected with by birth or adoption and ancestors of culture and place and ancestors of spiritual tradition. Sometimes we'll call those names out or we have a period of time where people reflect on the beloved dead, and the ancestors. So there is a setting of the place table for them and doing a silent supper. And then everyone gets served or if there is a main serving table, goes in silence and gets food and beverage. We sit down to the meal and are in silence the entire time once we begin until we conclude. Typically, a bell is sounded or a blessing is said to signal the end of the silent supper. What we've done in community in a large group format is done by many people as part of their own sawin gatherings at their household. So this also works for a family meal at sawin night or a household meal or a small gathering. And this is something that one who is preferring um, due to their own of tradition or circumstance of having um, a silent supper just themselves and the beloved dead and ancestors. So this can be done as a what's sometimes called a solitary rite, but because you're inviting the beloved dead and ancestors to be with you, technically it's not really solitary. Um, you are there to commune with those who have gone before but it can be done in a small group por- portion and way, and it can be done in a large group fashion. In addition to these types of ritual feast at Samhain, some people will have a ritual feast at the other Sabbaths. Uh, some traditions will have special foods, and special beverages at each Sabbath or seasonal festival. One of our traditional feasting uh, beverages for Yuletide is that of wassail, which is apple cider that has been mixed and heated with Prices, and I make a wassail every year as part of Yuletide and have used it as part of our household celebrations as well as our community Yule celebration and feast. What I find helpful for the wassail that I do, and certainly those of you who are from traditions that have wassailing um, will know that in Old England and some other parts of Europe, in addition to having the cider mixed with spices, alcohol has been a traditional ingredient. Uh, The cider may be an alcoholic uh, cider or um, some alcohol may be added to the mix. Because in our community, we have people that are in recovery and that can't take alcohol due to addiction recovery, and others who have some kind of medical condition that can't take it, as well as young people who aren't allowed to take it according to some um, traditions and legal restrictions. We often will have some alcohol to the side. So if people would want to add alcohol to their wassail, that would be an option. I have done in the past a Yuletide celebration called Harmony, which is actually a Scottish Yuletide New Year's celebration And it's typically on what most people call New Year's Eve, the last day of December. And that's how we handle our Wassail. We make it non-alcoholic, but then have an area where adults who want to have some alcohol can add that to the Wassail. Now, part of ritual feasting is to be able to have some things that people do together. And one of those things involving wasailing is to use the word wasail. It comes from the Anglo-Saxon, meaning to your health or good health to you. Wassail! 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 So, that is a kind of toast that is done along with um, other Yuletide traditions, which is something that goes back into antiquity. Now, that having wassail as part of a Yuletide feast is, can be really a fabulous thing, and many people will do while sailing as part of a Yuletide tradition and will go from house to house and, and have wassail as one journeys in a populated area, a small town, uh, or a big city, or even in a rural area, depending on how close um, everybody is to each other and what kind of transportation happens. But there's another kind of ritual feasting connected with wassailing, which is going into an apple orchard and dipping some actual toast in the wassail and um, putting it on one or more apple trees, tying it in the trees. In fact, some people say the concept of toasting has its root in this old wassail custom. When you're wassailing in an apple orchard, it is traditional not only to share the wassail amongst the humans, but to pour it as a libation around the base of the tree. And this is said to be a blessing on the apple harvest to come as well as a kind of thanksgiving. Another part of ritual feasting at Yuletide, especially those who are involved in Scandinavian Yuletide traditions and Swedish Yuletide traditions in particular, is the making of Lucy cakes or Lucia buns, Lusakaka. And what this is, It's a special kind of saffron bun with some spirals um, put together that is served on Lucia's Day, which is the 13th of December. Now, in ancient times, it was Lucia as the goddess of the sun in old Sweden, and December 13th, before calendars got changed up hundreds of years ago, was actually the winter solstice. As Europe became Christianized, Lucia became Santa Lucia or Saint Lucy, and yet the old traditions continued. And in this kind of ritual feasting, the oldest daughter of a household, dressed all in white, will have a tray with plates with the Lucy cakes on it and often some warm beverage, coffee or tea, whatever, that served to other household members at dawn on Lucia's day. Uh, basically a way to welcome in the return of the light at winter solstice time, at yule time. And Certainly, some people with Swedish ancestry that are in the southern hemisphere have the opportunity not only to celebrate it on the 13th of December, which has uh, been a tradition across different generations, but will actually have it at the winter solstice time six months later, because there's a six-month difference in the sabbath between Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere. So it's actually June 13th if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. So that's another kind of ritual feasting tradition that's connected with the turning of the wheel, the Sabbaths. Certainly something that I did early on is In the celebration of the Yuletide holidays, I was raised in a Christian household, so we called it Christmas and New Year's, was the making of holiday cookies. And this is a whole household um, experience. We'd get together. Uh, We had a variety of different types of treats that we would create as the Yuletide unfolded. And then they would be not only snapped on as we were making them, but saved for the big Christmas feast or Yuletide feast. And there are a variety of different sacred foods connected with ancient pagan traditions at Yuletide. And then they morphed into Christian traditions and morphed into interreligious, multicultural, and secular traditions connected with the celebration of the holidays. As we go around the wheel of the year, you will find that there can be some foods and beverages connected with each of the sacred holidays. And some people will have a Feast of Bridget on Bridget's Night, which in some traditions is January 31st. And here the feast is dedicated to Bridget in pagan times, St. Bridget in Christian times. And in our community, we call it Imok, after the old Celtic name for the holiday, and Bridget. And we see that Bridget the goddess is um, encompassing the many aspects of her across At Ostara or Spring Equinox Eggs are a thing for ritual feasting And often hard-boiled eggs get colored We'll have egg hunts And for our feasting There's plenty of eggs to be able to consume As a traditional food At Beltane Typically there is some mead, uh, for those who are able to drink alcohol, or some other tasty treat, and part of our ritual feasting at Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve and our Beltane Festival, we start our festival out with a kind of feast with the fae, or the wee folk, the fairy folk, the nature spirits that are part of the land, that are part of plants. And we have an actual site that we've dedicated as the Fairy Shrine. And we go to the Fairy Shrine and feed the Fae as we start our celebration. And then at at Summer Solstice time we also have had feasting traditions connected with that. For many years at the Pagan Spirit Gathering, which is our week-long celebration of summer solstice, we have had what I call the Zodiac Potluck Feast, and everyone brings a dish of food to share with others, and we have people bring a camp chair and a small table, and... We have the feasting tables and places where beverages are served. So this is a kind of potluck tradition. In the center and then around the circle, where all the food and the beverages are, there are different areas divided into 12 different areas, each for a sign of the zodiac. So people are invited to go sit in the part of the larger feasting circle with their zodiac sign. So that can be really a great way to meet and greet other people, especially at a large festival. And so, um, in fact, as we've evolved that custom, one of the things that we did was to have the names of each of the zodiac signs put in a cauldron and then the feast coordinator would draw out of the cauldron and then say the name of the Zodiac sign, and everyone with that sign would get up and go to the feasting table and get the beverages. Well, clearly we had tons of food and tons of beverages, so even the last of the 12 signs to be called, there was still most likely plenty of dishes and food um, to be had. And we found that the Zodiac Potluck Feast was a fabulous way to be able to celebrate a feast together, and we're talking here hundreds of people. Our very first zodiac potluck feast, we actually were much more rustic and had uh, tablecloths put on the ground rather than actual tables, but we evolved that process to make it easier for people. Uh, to be able to put their dishes there. So another fabulous way to do a feasting ritual. As we move to Lunasa, well, this is a festival of grain. And typically there's some kind of sacred bread that is served and shared at a Lunasa feast. Uh, We have what we call Lunasa, we have what we call Green Spirit Festival, and we'll harvest herbs from our gardens and do wildcrafting in the field as part of harvest activities. So over the years, as part of our Green Spirit Festival feast, our Lunasa feast, we often have served some type of summer herbal tea that's made from herbs gathered fresh from the land, and it had that available. I like working with lemon balm and honey and wild berries, and it's my summer berry delight tea, and while it certainly can be drunk warm, as I've had it for Lunasa at our Green Spirit Festival, it's been chilled, and it can be a very tasty Beverage for celebrating that height of the summer and the beginning of the Three Harvest Festivals. Well, this brings us to Mabon um, and Fall Equinox. This, to many people, is the pagan Thanksgiving. And one of the feasting traditions we have had is to have everyone bring some item of either grown from their garden or gotten from a grocery or farm market and put it in a cornucopia and to have that cornucopia represent the abundance of nature. It can make a great centerpiece, whether it's collectively created or not. It can be set in the middle of the feasting table. Um, It can uh, be passed around as a symbol of abundance. And feasting has been connected with Harvest Thanksgiving across cultures, across the ages. And in addition to having a cornucopia representing the abundance of nature, we've had wonderful food that has been prepared and served. Several years ago, we had, as part of our harvest feast, celebration. People making pies and other desserts and other kinds of dishes. We actually had a county fair theme one year for our Welcome Fall Festival, which is what we called heaven. And and we actually had judges and gave prizes for the best pie and other creations. And that was really a lot of fun. And then we got to eat pies. So that was good. And one of the traditions with our main fall harvest tradition of Mabin has been to make apple cider that we've gotten from apples from Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve that's been gathered there and brought by community members. We have a cider press that we got a number of years ago. And so we actually make cider that we share at that Harvest Feast. One of the things that we've done when we've made cider at our Welcome Fall Festival is not only have it available for the feasting rituals of that day, but we have always frozen some and then used it at Solan, returning to Solan at the end of the Sabbath circle and the beginning of the next. We have a circle sanctuary birthday celebration as part of our Sawan gathering every year. Typically, we have a special ritual feast at the end of our annual meeting, or sometimes it gets woven into the lunch of the main day of our festival, and yes, we take some of what we serve beverage-wise and cake-wise on our spirit plate, but it's really wonderful to be able to have cider that comes from one of our festivals to be able to serve that as a toast. Our organization, Circle Sanctuary, was born at Sawan time, as well as our nature preserve, um... Began and uh, Circle Sanctuary began in 1974, in the Nature Preserve, and um, in 1983, and Circle Cemetery at Sawan began in 1995, um, and. We celebrate all of those birthdays as well as the birthday of Lady Liberty League, our pagan rights organization. So at our annual meeting, we get to celebrate all those anniversaries and birthdays with a ritual toast, typically of cider, and um, a birthday cake for Circle Sanctuary. So that's an example of some feasting traditions around the wheel of the year, and We can also take a look now at some other ways to have feasting and connect that with rituals. Full moons, new moons, what some people call aspects, and some people celebrate just the full moons and some will celebrate just the new moons and some new moon as well as full moon and the waxing moon and the waning moon. So if you have a weekly SPEC, what sometimes happens in some traditions is that there is food and beverage shared as part of the lunar ritual. When we've done full moon circles over the years in person, typically we do our ritual and then follow our ritual with a a feast that's more snack. Um, We have beverages and then we have some food, kind of a potluck smorgasbord for people. So there are different ways of doing that. But if you are primarily working on a ritual that you're doing yourself, you can create your own kind of lunar feast having a beverage and having some food. And typically what happens for that is to be able at full moon time to go out under the full moon with the beverage and with the food and to let the light of the moon, if it's visible, um, shine upon what will be consumed and then to take a bit of each of the food and some of the beverage and to leave it at the land or the place as a symbol of thanksgiving, as symbol of honoring of the moon as well as of the land in which one is at. So another kind of ritual feasting tradition. One thing that I have discovered over the years when I do life passage ceremonies is the tradition of food helping to connect people together as well as being a celebration. So what are some life passage celebrations? A baby blessing. Sometimes in, within Wiccan traditions, it's called a Wiccaning. I've heard in some Druid traditions, it's called a Druiding. And there is a blessing of the young child, might be a baby or an infant, a toddler, depending on the tradition, um, in the family and what's available. But essentially, there is a blessing, and then that's followed by a feast, often a sit-down feast, and During that time, everyone is able to join together and take time to appreciate the day, the passage. This can happen at other ceremonies. What most people are familiar with, um, with life passage ceremonies, is the wedding feast or hand fasting. And sometimes this is held um, at the place where the hand fasting happens, and sometimes it's at a different location. With weddings, it's often incorporated within the ceremony itself that the couple, as part of them pledging their lives to each other, will also share the wedding cup and will also share some food. Sometimes it's a bit of wedding cake or some other piece. And some traditions will have a sharing of some fruit as well as some bread, as something sweet, as well as some type of beverage. In some wedding ritual feast, in addition to the couple exchanging vows and then um, basically nurturing each other, Beverage may be passed around the circle, a common cup, or individual cups, and in the beverage is shared as well as food may be shared amongst all who are present. Obviously, that's going to work better if it's a smaller group. And uh, some couples choose to have a big reception, either having it the feasting take a reception form or a sit-down dinner form but also an example of ritual feasting that is not only across many pagan and other nature spirituality traditions, but across faith traditions of many kinds. There's coming of age into adulthood ceremonies that can have a feast as part of that. There's coming of age into seniorhood. Um, Croning, staging, seniorings, feasting might be connected with that. And then at the end of life, funerals, memorials, celebrations of life, wakes, as part of remembering the beloved dead, the one who has passed, there typically is some kind of ritual feast that follows. That serves a variety of purposes. One is it gives people a chance. To socialize with each other and engage in feasting, which is something that goes across so many different traditions and cultures and the generations. So it's an opportunity for people to be with each other and to give each other support. But ritual feasting at funerals, and memorials, and following a burial also can be a way to continue to remember the beloved one who has died. And that may take the form of people sharing stories. I did a funeral a few years ago for a veteran, and we were at a veteran's hall. And most of the people were not pagan, but the veteran who had died was. So we were able to do a ceremony, and people had a chance to experience a different kind of funeral, but we also had a sit-down dinner at the VA, um, at the Veterans um, Big Hall, and that was something people were used to doing, so in some, in, in many ways, it was a chance for everyone to be able to connect with something that was familiar. And as part of that observance, we had a microphone. And during the meal, people took turns coming up to the microphone and sharing stories. And that can be really a wonderful part of a large ritual feast is to be able to continue the celebration of the life passage. And I've seen this done at weddings as well with a microphone and people doing a toast to the couple. And it gives amplification so everyone who's present can actually hear um, what's being said. And it's an extension of the ceremony that has occurred. In addition to these types of feasting rituals and ritual feasting, there are many other ways to incorporate food and beverages as part of spiritual practice. One of the things that I have found really powerful is at a time of someone's birthday, to gather around, and typically there's a birthday cake, and often there are candles on it. might be a candle for each year of the person's life, and, or it might, if the if person has lived a long life and the cake isn't that big, there are now candles um, that are in the shape of numbers. So you kindle a couple candles with um, the number of years that way. But the birthday cake is a kind of feasting ritual. And having a lit, uh, candles lit on top of a birthday cake and having people gather around and the person whose birthday is, it is, making a wish and then blowing out the candles, I mean, that is a kind of ritual feast tradition. Some say that that tradition actually is linked in to ancient full moon rituals, not so much the birthday song, that's um, more recent. However, the idea of having a cake under the full moon um, some say is actually the origins of the birthday cake tradition. So what are some things that you might want to do as you plan rituals and you plan feasts? So I'd like to conclude with sharing some ideas. If you are having a feast with a variety of people some of whom you know and some you don't, and you're in charge of the feast, it's really important to get a sense of the numbers that will be coming, if at all possible. And uh, some people will actually have people RSVP, but if you basically don't do that piece, number one thing to keep in mind, not only have... Enough food for who you think will be coming, but have backup. And I think backup is a good idea with planning any feast or ritual anyway, because sometimes things happen (laughs) and accidents happen. Food gets um, uh, destroyed or dropped or whatever. I did a, a, um, a wickening in Iowa back in the 1970s, and I was, uh, I was invited to come to this coven's wickening for the children there. And there had been a wonderful uh, cake created that was going to be shared with everybody as part of the ritual and some beverages. And before we actually got to the ritual space, which was in the backyard, Oh, a dog helped itself to the cake. Well, it's a fun story, (laughs) but but essentially um, it's good to have backup. And we have good memories of kind of the fun about all of that. But if you've invited people to a meal and there's going to be lots of people coming, uh, definitely make sure you get backup. Another important thing to keep in mind is people have different dietary preferences. And at our festivals, part of what we do when people register for our festivals is let us know their dietary needs and preferences. And we have um, often have some dishes that are specifically vegan and some that are, are vegetarian as well as something for the omnivores. If you're in a festival situation, it's good to get that kind of information so everyone can get something that's going to work um, for their own um, physical needs and lifestyle choices. Uh, but it, it can be helpful to encourage people to bring additional food if they're on a really restricted diet so that they can – sit down and dine with everyone even if they may not be able to partake of all the food. Another thing to keep in mind is okay, clean up. (laughs) Well, who's going to do the clean up? It's a really good idea to get that sorted out ahead of time. Sometimes there's a lot of food left over and there might be some bags of apples, for example, that have been um, acquired at a market, and if you do have extra food and you didn't use it at the feast, consider giving that to a food pantry, um, to sharing it with those who don't have um, a good source of food that, that really um, are in need of more abundance in their life. Sometimes what we've done at the end of our festival feast is on the very last day of the festival, if there are some extra um, food that we have not consumed, we invite people to be able to take some of the feasting food back home with them. In addition to this, um, these pointers, another thing that we have done and that some other people have done in both small ritual feasts this large ritual feast is to have everybody bring their own plates and silverware and cups and and to have some kind of washing station typically plain water a bleached water and then a rinse water and some means for drying Um, often some kind of towels or whatever, so that actually people do their own dishes. And I know that increasingly people are aware of the need to be environmentally aware of um, their work with food and with disposable utensils, and they're now um, eating utensils, that can be compost as well as some plates that can also go into a compost pile. So there is, these are just some pointers to keep in mind as you consider doing ritual feasting and feasting rituals. Where do you for some additional information as you do ritual feasting planning. One of the things that you might find helpful for looking at things connected with the Sabbaths of the Wheel of the Year, if you're connected with a particular ancestral tradition um, that goes back to a particular culture, to do some research. How did ancestors celebrate that particular time of year? This especially is good at Yuletide. I know that a a number of people, and there's some jokes that get made about fruitcake, but there are some traditional recipes that have come down through the generations. Um, Within your own family system, there might be family recipes and being able to incorporate them, even when you're at a feast that you don't have family members present, it's a way of connecting and with ancestral traditions. I invite you to also consider looking at a variety of recipes for various dishes connected with Sabbaths and moons and, and other special occasions, You can get some out of books and some online. And increasingly, people are sharing their recipes, which is really a fabulous thing. And I invite you to add information about your ritual feast and your feasting rituals in your own Grimoire Book of Shadows spiritual journal. So that you keep a record of that And if you've developed some recipes Definitely set them down And you may want to share this information with others Thanksgiving is an important part of ritual feasting And just as you do a blessing at the beginning It is important as you conclude a feast even if this isn't done in a group way, to spend a few moments before you're done and just be grateful. Be grateful for the feast. Be grateful for those who prepared it and served it. Be grateful for the forms of life that have contributed to the nourishment. Be grateful for the divine. I share with you a... Harvest Thanksgiving chant that I created for our Fall Equinox celebrations over the years. We give thanks for the harvest. We give thanks for abundance. We give thanks for the blessings in our lives. Through the year, we give thanks for the harvest. We give thanks for abundance. We give thanks for the blessings in our lives. Through the year, we give thanks for the harvest. We give thanks for abundance. We give thanks for the blessings. In our lives Through the year So be it Thank you all Who have joined in For This exploration Of ritual feasting And feasting rituals And I Give thanks to Everyone with our Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasting team And for more information about celebrating the seasons, I invite you to go to the Circle Sanctuary website, circlesanctuary.org. My free online guide to celebrating the seasons is there. I also invite you to check out um, some information via videos on the Circle Sanctuary YouTube channel, as well as the Selena Fox YouTube channel. And check us out on social media. Well, I give thanks for all the abundance that makes feasting possible. And I give thanks to all of you who have tuned in live and later. Happy feasting. Bright blessings.
2: I'm
0: And thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcasts, presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow the Nature Center paths. Join us here throughout the week for various programming connecting the community around the world. And please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. And follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash CSNpodcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. And until next time, many blessings.